right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James, and this is Your Folk Radio Bloodlines for January 1st, 2023. I hope it's going to be a better year than 2022. How about you, Michael? Yes, I'm doing good, and I agree with you. I hope this year will be better than the last one, that our people can yeah, start to reject the Mr. Babylon system. Amen, amen, and which... Uh, Begins with rejecting their food, right? Because <laughs> before the show, Michael and I were talking about, uh, both of us had colds recently. And mine occurred right after my really friendly neighbor brought me a plate of Christmas food, which included cookies, chocolate. They make excellent turtles, <laughs> right? Uh, mashed potatoes, corn, uh what is it? Uh, not Boston beans, but baked beans and grand finale cheesecake. Oh, that was good cheesecake. But I immediately paid the price for it by coming down with a cold, right? And so uh, I'm not, I can't eat that stuff anymore. So as we're playing the jingle here about the ADL and the Jews, I should update that jingle and talk about food. You know, <laughs> right? All the bad food we've been eating or we shouldn't be eating. So I'll rework the lyrics for that jingle and uh, maybe we'll come up with something funny for, uh, you know, staying away from toxic food. All right. So good morning, everybody. Uh, Bavarian man, Sussex man, Swamp Fox. Good to see you in the chat room. And we're going to repeat uh, or continue rather because last week we did a, a special show. Uh, which was a diversion from uh, Christianity in the Old Testament. And uh, we put the link in the chat room, and we're going to pick it up from, okay, I'm going to have to open the document up to remember where uh, we're supposed to start. Oh, yeah, the Feast of Weeks. So it's about, oh, a little more than a quarter uh, past into the document, the Feast of Weeks. And so I'll just pick it up here. And uh, it's very important uh, because especially since uh, Brother Eber is going to be doing another calendar this year, and uh, we want to uh, emphasize the, the exact timing that Yahweh gives us for all of these feasts, okay, in the, in the solar calendar. And uh, so it's really important to understand what these feasts are. Uh, before we even start, let me just say that... The spring feasts were all fulfilled at the first advent because uh, Messiah, Yahshua Messiah, was, of course, our Passover. And then the instructions given by Moses says that the very next day, the Passover is the 14th, the very next day, the 15th, is a weekly Sabbath, but it's a high Sabbath also because it begins the Feast of First Fruits. So, and then... The, the next day after that is the wave sheaf. So 14, 15, 16, those three days uh, are consecutive. All three of those are high Sabbaths of the Feast of Weeks. And I can tell you, Michael, that neither the Catholics nor the Jews celebrate those days in that manner. They completely ignore the instructions given in Scripture that they are consecutive days. Okay, and then the wave sheaf, of course, represents Yahshua's ascension into heaven, 
and it, it begins the countdown to the Feast of Pentecost, which uh, obviously the Jews cannot possibly be celebrating Pentecost because their Messiah hasn't come yet. They can't possibly be celebrating any of these feasts because they all point to Messiah. And since their Messiah hasn't come yet, none of these prophecies in the Old Testament can have any meaning for them. So they have to purvey the view that their Messiah is going to come at some point. And there's rumblings from New York City and Israel that their Messiah is about to come. But can the Jews possibly, Michael, come up with a sinless, a sinless person to parade around as Messiah. Do you think they can do that? No, that's impossible because yes. from their birth, they are they have fornicated the blood. So That's right. And so it's impossible. Yes. All right, so I'm going to pick the first two paragraphs here. And this is a really outstanding article by Bertrand Caporet, but let's get started. The Feast of Weeks was celebrated on the 50th day after the first fruits. And of course, that is the 16th day of the month, first month, as specified in Leviticus 23, 15-21, quote, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, which was the 15th day, from the day that ye brought the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete, and even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days. So from the so you're given two countings here. You're given the day from the wave sheaf, forty nine days after the wave sheaf, and it's fifty days after the day, day before, which was a high Sabbath. So you got a double witness as to, it's a simple count. It's fifty days from the high Sabbath and forty nine days from the wave sheaf. There's no way to get this wrong. All you have to do is count the days. Okay? So, let's continue. So, you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. That's that, that Pentecost. Unlike the uh, Feast of uh, we, uh, First Fruits or Feast of, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Passover, the, whole, the first feast of Passover, is a, an eight-day feast. And if you count the Passover itself, it's nine days. So it's a nine days without leavened bread. But at Pentecost, we are to use leavened bread. Why? Well, because it's for us. Pentecost is for us. And as Paul says, none of us are without sin. Okay? Yeah, like I ate all that sugary starchy food last weekend and I had to pay the price. Okay? So, these shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto Yahweh and ye shall offer with the bread of seven, bread, seven lambs without blemish. Okay? Michael, what does without blemish mean? What's the significance of without blemish? Blemish, for me, I think about Yeshua Messiah. Yeah, absolutely. Sinless. It means sinless, sinless. right. And that's why we said at the very beginning, there's no way the Jews are going to find a sinless Jew anywhere on this planet. Of the first year, by the way, they have come to America because they heard about the red heifers born on a ranch in Texas. 
and they have been, it's, they, they had a bunch of rabbi, rabbis, rabid rabbis, come over to America with their magnifying glasses, inspecting these red heifers, because the Talmud says that when the red heifer appears, that's when Messiah shall come, and that's when they will build their third temple, okay? So the Jews are ramping up to start practicing their animal sacrifices again, folks. I mean, what greater blasphemy against the actual fulfillment of these passages in Yahshua Messiah? But of course, we know they don't believe in him, and they're not his kinsmen anyway, all right? So, without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams, they shall be for a burnt offering unto Yahweh, with their meal offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of savor unto Yahweh. So at Pentecost, we're supposed to have a nice meal, okay? And we do these in memorials. We don't have to, we don't really have to slaughter any animals anymore for any of these feasts. We can if we want to, but as far as Passover is concerned, we shouldn't sacrifice a lamb because those lambs represented him. And Paul tells us he was the last sacrifice, all right? We're not supposed to offer any, uh, well, let's put it this way, any animals in sacrifice for our sins. That's over with. There are no animal sacrifices for sin. We are supposed to offer ourselves as a sinless, as sinless as possible uh, sacrifice. We're supposed to, as repentant Israelites, the wise virgins of uh, the, the, the scriptures, and the uh, wedding feast of the Lamb, the bride of the wedding feast of the Lamb. We have to make ourselves clean for that wedding feast. Okay, that's when the three fall feasts come into play for the second advent. But let me continue here. Uh, with their uh, meal and drink offerings and even an offering made by fire of savor unto Yahweh. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice, peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the fruits for a wave offering before Yahweh with the two lambs. They shall go, they shall be holy to Yahweh for the priest. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So the statute is forever, but we don't have to, and we can, we shouldn't uh, offer these animal, whatever animals we we could sacrifice them for peace offering. And you know, for different kinds of offerings, but not for uh, an offering for sins. We can't do that anymore. We're supposed to bear our own sins until the judgment day, right? Okay, that's how that works, folks. So let's continue. Note here some contrasts, which are intended to make clear the different things symbolized. In the feast of the first fruits, the symbolism was that of Jesus Christ resurrected as the first fruits from the dead. Since leaven symbolizes sin, there could not be any leaven in the offerings made on the day of firstfruits. Along with the sheaf of barley, the Israelite was to offer the, the he lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering, which symbolizes Jesus Christ offered to pay the penalty of our sins. There was also to be an offering of fine flour mingled with oil, but not baked into leavened, a leavened loaf, nor could any leaven be included in the offering. 
as first fruits must symbolize Jesus Christ, who was without sin. But the Feast of Weeks, also called Pentecost, does not directly represent Jesus Christ. It symbolizes the true church, that is, the congregation, and Yahshua Messiah's gift of the Holy Spirit to us. That's how I would have uh, written this. Okay, over to you, Michael. Yes, thank you. Even the very best of men have some sins, even when called by Jesus Christ to be part uh, of his church. Therefore, the wave uh, loaves which symbolize the church were made with leaven. Note also that at the Feast of the First Fruit, there was the offerings of a sheaf of stalks of barley, each stalk having its head containing many individual grains. This symbolized the many individuals to whom Jesus Christ brings the gift of life and resurrection uh, with the call uh, to form um, his church. All to be believers become part of one body, the church, as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 until 6, 17, saying, quote, the cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? For we, being many, are one uh, bread and one body. Yes. For we are all partakers of that one bread. End of quote. Therefore, the offerings at the Feast of Weeks is no longer a sheaf containing a multitude of individ individual grains, but of the wave symbolizing the many believers now become one church. Yes, or one body. Yes, as he said at the Last Supper, this is my body. But if, if you partake of that Passover, you become part of that body. Okay? The body of Israel. <laughs> All right? Back to you. Yes, so in fulfillment of this, at the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, uh, next following the cru crucifixion, the disciples were awaiting in Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus Christ's promise and command in Luke twenty four forty nine, quote, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be um, endued. Endued, yeah. Endued with power uh, from on high, end of quote. Um, and in Acts 1 8, quote, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is coming upon you, and ye shall be witnesses upon me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, end of quote. Um, at the Feast of Weeks, the Holy Spirit came upon them as set forth in detail in the second chapter of, of Acts, which began the work of the church. Men united in the, their fellowship as part of the mystic body of Christ. Remember, this is what the fulfillment of the thing symbolizing in the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament. And over to you. Yes, all right. Thank you. Okay, so it's really quite amazing that you know we just quoted... The passage from Leviticus 23, which says, this is to be a memorial forever, <laughs> right? Okay, 
forever. That doesn't mean we sacrifice animals for our own sins anymore, but we memorialize all of these feast days in our, uh, uh, Compare uses the word church, but in our congregation, among ourselves. We memorialize these, but the churches have abolished all of that. They don't realize that there's prophetic significance to all of these feast days, because the fall feasts signify the judgment day, right? And, and preparing ourselves for the judgment day, if you don't understand that, and that these feast days uh, are for your benefit to prepare yourself for the judgment day, you dear Christian, if you don't understand that, you won't be ready. You will not be ready for the judgment day. But let me continue here. All right. In fulfillment of this, at the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, next following the crucifixion, the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem in obedience to Jesus Christ's promise and command in Luke twenty four forty nine, quote, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power. Oh, did you read that already? Yeah, I would have read that. You have okay. that have we now completed. Yes, yeah. Okay. Have we now, I was, I was thinking about what I was going to respond when you were reading it. Have we now completed our review of Christian, Christianity in the Old Testament? Far from it. Let us now turn to Isaiah 53, 3-7, which even our various churches all admit refers definitely to Jesus Christ. I will correct a few errors in translation in it. Quote, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our sickness and carried our pain. Yet we did esteem his, his stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and Yahweh hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, unquote. Now, of course, Michael, this is Old Testament prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, right? But the Jews refused to accept Isaiah 53 as being about Jesus Christ. They don't even read it. And there's whole... What uh, they, yeah. It's sort of interrupting. What do they think it means? What is their interpretation? They just ignore it? Well, yeah, they ignore it, or they uh, they pretend that it's a coming Jewish Messiah, right? But as we just said, to try to find a sinless Jew, right? Impossible. <laughs> uh, so uh, what's going to have to happen, uh, Michael, if and when these Jews build their so-called third temple, will they not have to sacrifice that Jew? Won't they have to do that in order for him to bear their sins? Yes, if if you should, <laughs> if you did what Yash Masai did, yes, they need to. 
Yeah. And if you want to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy, they would have to do that. They would never do that. Yeah, of course they never would. I don't think you'd get a Jew volunteering to do that. <laughs> okay, so let's continue. Indeed, what can the so-called New Testament add, which is not found here? Remember, Isaiah wrote this almost seven and a half centuries before it was fulfilled. How can clergymen be so blind? <laughs> Indeed, most of them quote this passage from Isaiah at one time or another, they even preached that it is referring to Jesus Christ, yet they then preached that the Old Testament set forth a different and false religion which had to be abandoned to make way for the New Testament and Christianity. Yeah, that's what the churches teach. Back to you, Michael. Uh, thank you very, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, how can clergymen be so blind? Most of them quote this passage from Isaiah at one time or another. Uh, they even preach that it is referring to Jesus Christ. Yet, they then preach that the Old Testament set forth a different or false religion, uh, which had to be abandoned to make way for the New Testament and Christianity. Go ahead, take the next two paragraphs, because I just read that one. Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, oh, sorry. Right. Oh, you see, I did the same. Yeah. And We're on the same wavelength this morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Psalms make many references to Jesus Christ and his work of salvation. Psalm 2 contains clear reference to him. I will declare the decree Yahweh uh, has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth, for they uh, for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessels. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. End of quote. Um, Psalm 22 is generally admitted to be uh, a pr prophetic picture of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it is too long for me to quote here, but read it for yourself and you will see that it described the crucifixion. Yes. Um, Psalms 46 uh, until 10 again prophesies Jesus Christ as is recognized in Hebrews 10, 5 until 14. Don't these quote, New Testament Christians, uh, and quote, ever read the New Testament? No. Jesus Christ, <laughs> certainly. Certainly not the Catholics, yeah. No, they, they, they don't. Yes. They, are, get, they, they, they get the canon, the fed one from their, their what do you say, priests. Yep. Um, ever read New Testament? Jesus Christ certainly did fulfill the, these words of Psalms 40. Quote, Sacrifice and offering... Thou didst not desire, mine ear hast thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Ye, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregations. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Yahweh, 
Thou knowest I am not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving uh, kindness and thy truth from the great congregations. End of quote. Again, Psalms 41.9 is prophetic, saying, quote, Ye, mine own family friends, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up uh, his heel against me. End of quote. In John 13.18, Jesus Christ himself quotes this verse, telling the disciples that the betrayal by Judas Iscariot is the fulfillment of this psalm. There you go. The, uh... The, the token Jew <laughs> among the disciples. He was an apostle until he betrayed him, right? Betrayed him with a kiss. That's why I'm very careful about men snuggling up to me with a kiss. <laughs> oh, what, what, wait, wait a minute. What, what are you doing? Okay, also. Like, um, yeah, isn't that also where the mafiosos get their oh, kiss also from? There you go. Yep. Yeah, and, and most of those mafiosos are Jews. Yeah, with okay. Italian names, with yeah, right. Irish name, whatever they use, but they are Jews. Yes, they are. Okay. Also, Psalm 45, 6 through 7 refers to Jesus Christ saying, quote, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, that anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, Unquote. This is quoted word for word in Hebrews 1, verses 8 through 9, as applying to Jesus Christ. Oh, well, that's Old Testament. We don't need to read the Old Testament. Nothing there for us. Psalm 68, 18 refers to Jesus Christ's deliverance of the dead from their previous captivity by the powers of evil, saying, quote, Thou hast ascended on high, Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Unquote. This psalm is quoted by Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 10, explaining its reference to Jesus Christ. So, here, Michael, we have, even within identity, we have a lot of Paul bashers, although there's fewer and fewer. As time goes on, I haven't run into many recently who claim that Paul was a Jew and that you can't uh, you know, listen to anything he wrote or anything he said. But here, Bertrand Compare is proving that Paul had to explain everything that happened to the Judahites, right? The Judahites themselves... Now, I'm not talking about Jews now. I'm talking about Judahites. The Judahites in Judea, they didn't want to accept him as their Passover lamb either. Right? Because they wanted to keep the practicing no sacrifices. Well, after 750 years of practicing these sacrifices, you sort of get used to doing it, right? And Paul had to explain to them, no, you've got to stop doing that. The Passover lamb has come. Duh. Back to you. And just a curious question then, how would it come that, uh, where did it get that from to bashing Paul? Because, yeah, I know some of his texts is sometimes um, to read them, they could be a bit, not misleading, but they could be a bit, I don't know, 
Um, difficult, difficult to read. Yeah, difficult maybe. Yeah, maybe more difficult to to really grasp all of them. But I don't know where that comes from. Why right. would why would they bash Paul? I I, I yes. don't understand that. Well, uh, it is even Peter says that it is hard to understand Paul, and the reason for that is because he was brought up in Tarsus, which was way 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 up north, right in uh, Turkey today, and he. He was actually he was taught by a uh, a Pharisee Gamaliel, and he was raised in that tradition, and but he also spoke in uh, what's the word, uh, not sophistry, but it's close to sophistry. He spoke in very elaborate sentences with lots of clauses, and that's what and his writing is that way too. I can imagine it was hard for uh, Luke and the other. Uh, secretaries that Paul had to write write this down, right? Paul probably had to proofread it, although he was blind in one eye. He had to proofread what they wrote down. Okay, a comma here, period there, semicolon there, right, to, to get it right. So, but uh, because Paul had such a different upbringing from all the other apostles, it was very difficult for them to understand him, okay? And it's like, oh, okay, so, for example, you reading English, okay, you have difficulty with certain words, okay? I would have yep. a horrible time with Swedish, <laughs> right? I wouldn't know where to begin, right? So, if it's not your native language, you have difficulty pronouncing certain words, okay? And so, that's what Paul had. Paul had difficulty with pronunciation of certain words. He spoke Hebrew, he spoke Hebrew fluently, but Aramaic was not his, uh, you know, his good good speech, right? So, plus he had this uh, roundabout way of speaking, flowery way of speaking, which made a huge difference. And you, know, you really had to pay attention to what he was saying <laughs> to catch what he was talking about. That's one thing, okay? The other thing is that the the writings of Paul have been horribly translated, horribly translated. Uh, a lot of it is de- deliberate mistranslation, but a lot of it is just based on the fact that uh, they use words like Jew and Gentile, and they, they misplace words like uh, the uh, heuthesia. Heuthesia, which does not mean adoption. It means to place, to place as a son. So that, that they get the covenant message all messed up because of that false translation. So any any objections to Paul are resolved by two things. One, the fact that he was an outsider coming in, and number two, he his his translators did a really horrible job. You know, and of course it reflects badly on him, but it's not his fault. All right. Okay. So back to you. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about something, but I lost. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that with the word Jew, and that's one, and then Gentile. I know when I'm discussing here with people in Sweden about it, and they always say the wrong one says Jews all the time, and they are, they think uh, you they they in, they misinterpret it as as Jews. So I say no, look up the word, and they they are very stubborn not to look it up to say right. it is not Jew, it is Iodeans. Right. Yeah, yeah. But they, and then this Gentile, that's, I guess, more is the, the dispersion, I would say. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. In the scriptures, the word Gentile 
more often than not refers to the dispersion, but sometimes it actually refers to the house of Judah as well because it simply means nation. It actually means race, common nation. It doesn't mean another race, which is what people think it means. No. Okay? So, I mean, and then Paul, you're trying to understand Paul with all of these horrible translations? It's incredible that anybody understands them at all. All right, back to you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So, um, Psalm 69.9, referring to Jesus Christ's single-minded devotions uh, to doing his Father's will. Regardless of the consequences, quote, For the seal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached, they are fallen upon me, end of quote. John 2.17 and Romans 15.13 explain that this verse applied to Jesus Christ. Why don't these New Testament Christians read their New Testament and see that it is frequently refers to the Old Testament for confirmation of its truth? Right, right. Well, there's hardly a word spoken by any of the scribes of the New Testament that isn't a reference back to the Old Testament. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, when you read, uh, um, when you're reading the, for example, just re- reading Revelation and find how many of those you can find cross references back to Isaiah, you find the cross reference back. Nothing yeah. is like when I say what yeah. you what invented, but it's you always find your way back to the yeah. Old Testament. Yeah, Ezekiel, Daniel. I mean, uh, the the prophecies contained in those books. Uh, very similar to the prophecies in Revelation, right? At least the ones that haven't been fulfilled yet, <laughs> right? So, yeah, okay. Did you do uh, two paragraphs or, or what? No, I have done, done one. I will take okay. this next one. As well. All right. So, Psalms 110, uh, 1 and 4 refers to Jesus Christ saying, quote, Yahweh said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool, end of quote. Um, and, quote, Yahweh has sworn and will not repent. Thou art the priest forever after the order of Mel, uh, Melchizedek, end of quote. In Matthew 22, 41-45, Jesus Christ quoted this psalm in proof of his divine nature, and Peter also cited it, as much uh, such proof in Acts 2, 29-36, and in Hebrews. Paul quotes, it is an authority three times. Um, see Hebrews 5, 6, 6, 20, and all of chapter 7. There are also several other identifiable references to Jesus Christ in the other Psalms, but we have covered uh, that field enough. However, before we leave this point, let us note how uh, thoroughly it is explained in the book of Hebrews 9, 1 until 12. Quote, Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinance of divine services and an earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table that the um, showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden um, censer 
and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, um, and the uh, tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubim of glory, shadowing the mercy seat. Now these things uh, were thus ordained, and the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself for and for the errors of the people, which was a, a figure uh, for the time then pre- present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that um, did the service um, perfect as pertaining to the conscience. But Christ be, uh, being uh, come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, neither by the blood of goats and uh, calls, but by his own blood. He entered into, uh, in, into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. End of quote. Okay, so it's obvious, uh, I mean, to Paul, I don't think anybody could explain it better, that this sacrifice was performed by Yahshua Messiah. Right? Uh, he's the only person ever, and certainly no Jew could ever qualify, to fulfill this sacrifice. Period. <laughs> right? Uh, no, red heifers aside, and uh, building a third temple aside, as we said earlier, there, there's... The, the Jewish community will never find a sinless Jew. Period. Ain't going to happen. And, right? Yeah, and if they, they would never do it, but if they did, do you think they would sacrifice him? Well, if they had to, they might. They might pick some poor Jew off the streets of New York City and say, hey, we need to sacrifice you to make ourselves look good. Right? Uh, we'll uh, just take it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, in a way, yeah. they did that to what's his name, the the Jew that murdered Lee Harvey Oswald, right? Because uh, uh-huh. yeah, but he he owed the mob, he owed the mob big time, and so they they picked him. Uh, what's his name? The uh, the guy who shot Oswald. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, because it was a J, I'm pretty sure. You know, he was Jewish, and he was a mobster, owned a strip club in Dallas, uh, and uh, they picked him to eliminate Oswald so Oswald couldn't testify, right? Because the case would have been blown open had he done so. So they might sacrifice somebody, and I don't know what happened to uh, th- that Jew, but it couldn't have been good, <laughs> right? He, Jack Ruby, thank you guys. Jack Ruby. Rubenstein, yes. Jack, uh, John Rubenstein is, was his name. And I know he didn't live long after going to jail. Okay. So, but to ask uh, Rubenstein to uh, wear a crown of thorns. <laughs> yes, they were willing sacrifices. Thank you, Brother Aber. This would be what? Uh, uh, you know, what's the, not extortion, 
but uh, putting pressure on somebody, hey, you better do this or we'll kill you. <laughs> One way or the other, you're going to die, right? That's what would happen to any Jew who volunteered to do that, right? And it wouldn't be volunteering. They'd be forcing it on them. All right. Very good stuff. Thank you, Michael. Okay, I say the next couple of paragraphs here. That is, the righteous ordinances of the Old Testament were all symbolic of the true redemption which would be accomplished by Jesus Christ at his first coming. Now do you see why Paul said in Galatians 3.24 that, quote, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, unquote. The first three major parts of the law, that is the commandments, the statutes, and judgments, established rules of conduct which one must follow if his conduct is to be righteous. We all fall short of such good conduct and do not gain righteousness by our own actions, and the law condemns us for this. But the fourth division of the law, the ordinances which set up all the religious rituals and ceremonies, points out that righteousness can be gained only through the death of another in our place, paying the penalty for our sins. And as we have seen, this clearly symbolized the real sacrifice, not the mere symbol of it, was that which would be made by Jesus Christ at his first coming and in his crucifixion and resurrection. Now, of course, the actual flesh and blood of the sacrificial animals were also used as an atonement for Israel's sins for those 750 years or more. It's probably more than that, probably more like a thousand years. And But that was put an end to as well. Yahshua himself put an end to that in his own flesh and blood. Let's continue. We cannot go on forever with our discussion of Christianity in the Old Testament, however. There remains one part of it which is as important as all that we have studied thus far. The three fall festivals, the Hebrew New Year, Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of, a t- of Tabernacles all symbolize the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now let us examine these in detail. Okay, well, pay attention to what he just said here, folks, because these are getting the, these are to prepare us for the Judgment Day. The Spring Feasts were to prepare us for the Passover Lamb. The Fall Feasts are to prepare us for the Judgment Day. Over to you, Michael. Thank you. So, the Hebrew day began at sunset. Each month was a lunar month, always beginning with a new moon. Today, we calculate the time when the moon is exactly opposite from its position at full moon. Uh, hold on, um, I, 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 I almost missed that. Uh, no, it wasn't a lunar calendar. Uh, He's he's picked that up from Judaism, right? There, of course, there wasn't any opposition to the Jewish reckoning of the calendar in his day. So, you know, he's just taking that as as for granted. So, yeah, so please start that again. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, from the beginning? Yes, from the beginning. Uh, the Hebrew day began at sunset. That's correct. Um, each month was a lunar month. That's it. Always beginning. That, that's Jewish reckoning. Okay, but please continue. Okay. Always beginning with a new moon. Um, today, we calculate the time when the moon is exactly opposite from its position at full moon. And this is the astronomical new moon. But the moon is not visible at all on that day. It is too close uh, to the sun to be seen, even at sunset. 
the Hebrews counted as new moon the first day that the uh, that a thin uh, crescent could be could be seen just after sunset, and this comes uh, on a day later uh, than the day marked new moon on your calendar. Right. Okay. Uh, so uh, Caporea is wrong about all of that. There is nothing in Scripture to even remotely suggest that any priest of Israel looked up into the sky to find out when the new moon happened, or the full moon for that matter. It just didn't happen, okay? So uh, obviously Bertrand Caporea didn't do a calendar study, and he's simply accepting the Jewish calendar as presented, okay? So uh, as I said, Brother Hebert is working on a document right now to clear all that up. And so get busy, Brother Abair. <laughs> Back to you, Michael. Um, so sunset of the day of the new moon uh, of the first month of the year was their New Year's Day. They posted watchers on nearby hilltops or on towns in the cities to watch for the first glimpse of, of um, the thin crescent new moon. When the watchers saw it, they notified the people of the town by loud shouts, and the people joined in the shouting and blowing horns. In fact, we still do something much like this, but we delay our New Year's shouting and horn blowing until midnight. Yeah, okay. Unfortunately, there's nothing in Scripture to back that up, okay? That's Jewish teaching, and uh, Capere simply doesn't know any better in the case of the calendar. So, you know, we'll, maybe we should do a, sh a show about that next week to clarify that issue. But back to you. Yes. Okay. Um, we find the ordinance governing it, at, it in, in Numbers 29.1. Quote, And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye shall have an holy um, uh, convocation. Ye shall do new servile works. It is a day of blowing the trumpets onto you. End of quote. Yeah, okay, but I don't know how much he said about the moon in that one. Right. No, there were, he didn't talk about the moon there. And, uh, you know, the uh, it's basically the uh, fall and spring equinox. The, the uh, spring equinox begins the spring feast days. The fall equinox begins the fall feast days. Uh, it's really that simple. Okay, back to you. Uh, if you are wondering about these references to it as, quote, the seventh month, end quote, the answer is that the Hebrews had two separate calendar years. One was the um, civil year, commencing with the uh, month Nisan in the spring. The other was a sacred year, commencing with the month um, uh, Tishri, uh, which was the seventh month in the civil year. Again, this is uh, he's getting this from Jewish reckoning. Uh, I don't find any reference in the scripture for the term civil year. This is a Jewish invention, okay? And we can ignore that. <laughs> All right. Uh, as I just said, the fall, the, the spring feast begin at the spring equinox. The fall feast begin at the fall equinox. That's all we need to know, and all we need to do is celebrate the feast days as presented in Scripture, and we don't need to talk about civil year versus sacred year. It's all sacred. It's all sacred, folks. Back to you. Yes. Okay. On a small scale, the new, the new year ritual was this. Watchers scanned the heavens, looking 
um, there for the sign of the end of uh, one period of time, a year, and the beginning of another. What is symbolized on the great scale is this. We are to watch for the sign in the heavens uh, marking the return of Jesus Christ, ending this age and beginning the next. Christ explained this for us in Matthew 24, 30-31, quote, And then shall appear the signs of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elects, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. End of quote. That's the harvest. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I lost my place. Uh, what paragraph are you at? Um, as they watched anxiously for the sign of the end of the year. Huh. Okay. Uh, I guess I'm, uh, I scrolled up too far. Uh, why don't you? Uh, I can I can read on a bit. More. Yeah, read on a bit more. I'll find I'll find you. As they watched anxiously for the sign of the end of a year, so we watch hopefully um, for the sign in the heavens, which will show us that Jesus Christ is on His way and nearly here, leading the vast armies of heaven, coming to overthrow all wickedness and set us free from its power. This will end the sinful age in which we have been living and beginning the next age of true and complete righteousness when Jesus Christ shall rule all the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay, amen. Very good. All right, I found where you're at. Okay, I'll and pick I, it up. Yeah, uh, go Comment here. So I think when yeah. you said to watch in the times, um, I guess we cannot see exactly the times when it comes, but then it's this with the fig tree to see how ripe the fig is to determine the time, to yeah. see how the prophecies are coming through. Then so we can see that the fig is ripe and correct right. me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, the figs and other plants as well, because every uh, every season has its own harvest, okay? But there, don't forget about that fig tree that Jesus cursed, <laughs> right? That fig tree represents the Jews because they have no, it has no life. It's a dead tree. It's been condemned to death, all right, and by Obadiah and many of the other prophets. So let me pick it up on the next paragraph. Today, we who really believe his words remain alert to perceive the signs of his second coming in accordance with his warnings in the 24th chapter of Matthew. Watch, therefore, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. The importance of this sign cannot be overrated. So strongly and repeatedly does the Bible state it. In Matthew 25, 1-13, Jesus Christ tells the parable of the ten virgins and their lamps, five of them being wise and keeping their lamps not only trimmed, but also filled with oil, in readiness for their master's return from his wedding supper. The other five were foolish and had no oil for their lamps. He concludes this parable by saying, quote, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh, unquote. In Luke 24, verses 34 to 36, he also said, quote, 
And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, such as last night, all the revelers celebrating the new year, okay? So that day come upon you unawares, all right? So thankfully, it's not going to occur on the, what, what we call this, the pagan New Year's Day, right? In the pagan day of Christmas, it's not going to happen then. It's going to happen in the fall at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so all of our people are preparing for that day. The ones I know anyway, they're they're stocking up on candles, right? Which is the replacement for lamps and lamp oil. You can do that too. But uh, if the power ever goes out, and you can't see to read your Bible at night, you know, well, you can do it by candlelight, right? So this is part of the, we have to prepare. For as a snare, uh, let's see. Yeah, for as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Paul tells us in Thessalonians 4, sorry, 5, 4 through 6, But be ye brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, unquote. Remember, all of this was symbolized by the Hebrew New Year ritual in the Old Testament. Well, it was symbolized by the fall feast days. That's what it was symbolized by. All right, back to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was thinking about something with this when yeah. we take a blameless, when they did take a blameless animal, uh, like a um, sheep or a goat. Yep. That must say in a way that, that the animals follows Yahweh's law better than us. Yeah, right. right. That's true. Right. Especially, especially sheep. You know, they they hardly do any damage to anybody. Right. Goats can do damage to people. Right. But sheep hardly any. Right. They're, they're such passive animals. Right. That's what he was. He was totally passive in his you know self sacrifice. Yeah. Yep. Back to you. Okay. Let's continue then. The return of Jesus Christ, which is the dearest hope of the Christians, will not be a source of joy to those who hate Jesus Christ. Oh, Jews. <laughs> and I guess also Arabs and Muslims. Right, right. Uh, because then they, well, not Allah. No, no, no. It's yeah, Jesus Christ. It's yeah, he's, he, he's talking about Israelites who hate Jesus Christ. <laughs> it should be a source of joy to them. But it isn't. Yeah. Not quite, we're not quite there yet. Yeah, but they have lived some sin, sinful life, so they don't want oh, to. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. They don't like it, but oh, no, it was true. Yep, all along. Yep. Uh, both Old and New Testaments alike tell us of his enemies' terror as they see their judgment and punishment coming. Zechariah 12, 10 on to 11 says, quote, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. 
in that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. End of quote. Okay, that means we are Jerusalem. It's a prophetic Jerusalem is Israel, wherever we are scattered across the planet. There might be two or three in the actual city of Jerusalem, but not too many. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was the city he cursed. Yes. Yes. Revelation 6, uh, 15 until 16 adds, quote, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondsman, and every freeman, hide themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. End of quote. And this, this quotation, this was it, the rocks should fall on them. Isn't that also written in Ezekiel, I think? Uh, yeah, it's a quotation from the Old Testament for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, as the book of Revelation is entirely symbolic, the mountains and the rocks of which it speaks are nations and the communities into which the enemies of Jesus Christ have infiltrated. <laughs> oh, yeah, we know about them. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> no! Can't be! Who would infiltrate Christianity to try to destroy it? Would someone actually dare to do that? <laughs> it's amazing! That's, yeah, they are more truthful to their father than what we are to ours, unfortunately. Right, right. I'm, I'm talking about the Judeo-Christian pastors, right? The wolves and oh, sheep's yeah, yeah. the wolves and sheep's clothing, but the uh, you know the uh, all trusting sheeple in the pews don't even suspect that these Judeo-Christian pastors are just as bad as Jews. Back to you. Yeah, but I guess it's the use that makes the Judeo-Christian pastors to believe it. They have learned at the seminaries or cemeteries, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if that wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't be in this big mess. Oh, right, yeah. Well, the Jews made a conscious effort through the Schofield Reference Bible to corrupt all of the seminaries of Judeo-Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah, Um in calling up these nations and cities to, um, quote, fall on us and hide us, end of quote, they will be speak seeking protection by trying to pass uh, just ordinary members of these nations and communities, denying any double allegiance to another nation, race, or religion. Some of them have uh, deceived us by this means, and they will try also to deceive God, but without success, of course, he's God. You so, can't him. Well, doesn't the Jew always say, who, me? I didn't do anything <laughs> wrong. It's those Christians who made us do it, right? <laughs> That's the fallback excuse that all Jews use. I didn't do anything wrong. Hell, you did it. All right. Let's, I can take one more. Yes. The next fall festival was the Day of Atonement. On the 10th day of a Hebrew month, uh, uh, Tishirim, it was the most uh, solemn of all the festivals, and it carries the deepest symbolism in the entire Bible. Before we can consider it in details, we must learn the identity of the fallen angel named uh, Azazel, Azazel. Okay, yeah, Azazel. Okay, Okay, very good. All right, thank you. Let's continue. Let's see how much time. We're at a 30-minute mark here. Yeah. You will not find his name mentioned in your King James Version of the Bible. 
although it is there in the original Hebrew, and the entire story is not given in the books of the accepted canon of the Bible. So we must turn to the book of Enoch for many of the details. We start with Genesis 6, verse 1 through 4, as it reads in the Hebrew, And it came to pass that mankind, that is Adamites, have begun to multiply upon the face of the earth, and daughters have been born unto them. And sons of God see the daughters of men, that they are fair, which means white-skinned, and they take to themselves women of all whom they have chosen. The fallen ones, the Nephilim, were in the earth in those days, and even afterwards when sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they have uh, born to them, they are the heroes from of old, are men of renown, unquote. So who knows how far back this is actually talking about. I think it's actually talking about before Genesis chapter 1, which is the uh, recreation of our species and other species on this planet after a great catastrophe. Let's continue. That is to say, the fallen angels who followed Satan into rebellion were the ones who left their first estate or condition, as we are told in Jude 6. Your King James Version, Bible says, quote, there were giants in the earth in those days, but that is pure mistranslation. As the Hebrew says, the Nephilim were in the earth in those days. And the word giant is simply one translation of that word. And the meaning of Nephilim is the fallen ones, obviously the fallen angels who had gone into great rebellion under the leadership of Satan. But who is Satan? The word Satan is not the name of any person, but a mere title meaning the opponent. He is sometimes called Lucifer, but this is also only a title meaning the shining one or perhaps light bearer. Yeah, light bearers of darkness. To learn who is the person carrying these titles, we must turn to the book of Enoch. As I have said, in the sixth chapter of Enoch, it says, quote, And it came to pass, when the children of men had multiplied, that in those days were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters. And the angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them. There weren't women in heaven good enough? (laughs) And said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men, the children of Adam, and beget us children. It goes on to list the names of the chief ringleaders among the rebel angels, among whom one is named Azazel. Back to you. Yeah, thank okay, you. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, we're back. Chapter eight. Okay, yeah, please. Um, chapter 8 of Enoch says, quote, And Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates, and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them. And there arose much godlessness, as they committed fornication, and they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. And as men per- um, perished, they um, cried, and their cry went up to heaven. End of quote. It tells how God sent a, a committee uh, of four archangels, Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel to investigate and report back to him just how bad conditions really were. In Enoch 9, they reports, quote, Do cest what Azazel has done, who hath taught all unrighteousness on earth, 
and the women have borne giants, and the whole earth has thereby been filled with blood and unrighteousness. End of quote. In Enoch 10, God ordered Raphael uh, to, quote, bind Isaacel's hand and foot and cast him into darkness and make an opening in the desert, um, which is in um, uh, Duadael, okay. and cast him therein. Okay, Dudael. All right, so uh, where is Dudael? Maybe I can find out while you continue reading. Okay. Yeah, uh, end of quote. So, then God pronounces sense upon Azazel, quote, and I, when you say God, I will say uh, Yahweh pronounces sense upon him. Sure. Or Elohim. Right. Um, quote, the whole earth has been corrupted, though, though the works that were taught by Azazel, to him ascribes all sin, end of quote. And God co- uh, commands that Azazel be kept imprisoned in darkness, in the pit, in the desert, awaiting his final judgment and condemnation. Uh, with this background, knowing who and what Azazel is, we are ready to um, commence our study of the Day of Atonement. The instructions for the Day of Atonement are found in Leviticus 16 and 23. Usually I read to you the scriptures on the point and then explain it. However, if I read it in details here, just in the sixth chapter of Leviticus alone, would take all of my time. So I shall suggest that you read first Leviticus 23, 26 until 30, and all of Leviticus 16. And we will now study its meaning. Okay. Should we read Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23, 26, 30? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, let me just uh, quickly uh, report what I found here. Okay, so Dudael is a, a place east of Jerusalem. We're not told how far. It is the prison of all the fallen angels, especially the evil watchers, the entrance of which is located to the east of Jerusalem. The way this place is described, Dudael is sometimes considered as a region of the underworld, comparable to Tartarus or Gehenna. Now, that's interesting because Tartarus, uh, that brings to mind Tartaria, (laughs) right? Which used to be uh, an area of, well, Mongolia and China, etc., where all kinds of... uh, pyramids and uh, monumental buildings were constructed and it was the legends are that it was populated by giants okay tartaria could be part of it so but uh so definitely they were cast into the underworld and maybe uh, <laughs> and there's probably many places where you know you have vast chasms under the the surface of the earth where such people could dwell all right, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind that these places exist. All right, so uh, if you've got the uh, other verses ready, uh, go ahead. Yes, so uh, thanks. Just start with Levitic- Leviticus um, uh, 16 then. Yes. Yes, and I'm going to read from the scriptures. Okay. If you don't. Sure. Uh, and uh, uh, 16. So, uh, and then change to it. Okay, so Leviticus 16, 1 until, oh, 34. 
And Yahweh spoke to Moshe after the death of the two sons of Aaron, as they drew near before Yahweh and died. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Speak to Aaron, your brother, not to come in at all times to the set-apart place inside the veil. Before the lid of atonement, which is on the ark, lest he die, because I appear in the cloud above the lid of atonement. And with this, Aaron should come into the set-apart place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as an ascending offering. He should put on the set-apart linen long shirt with linen trousers on his flesh and gird himself with a linen girdle and be dressed with a linen turban. They are set-apart garments and... He shall uh, bathe his body, bath his body in water, and shall put them on. And from the congregations uh, of the children of Israel, he takes two male goats as a sin offering, and one ram as an ascending offering. And Aaron shall bring the bull uh, as a sin offering, which is for himself. And make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and let them stand before Yahweh at the door of the te- uh, tent of appointment. And Aaron shall uh, cast lots uh, for the two goats. One lot for Yahweh and the other lot for uh, Azazel. And Aaron shall um, bring the goat on which uh, the lot for Yahweh fell and shall prepare it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for Azazel fell is caused to stand alive before Yahweh, to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness of Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall slay the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. And shall take a fire holder filled with um, burning coals of fire from the slaughtering place before Yahweh, which um, his hands filled with sweet incense beaten fine, and shall bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before Yahweh, And the cloud of incense shall cover the lid of atonement, which is on the uh, witness, lest he die. And he shall. (laughs) Sorry? Go ahead. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the lid of atonement on the east side, also in front of the lid of atonement. (laughs) He sprinkles some of the blood with his fingers. Seven times. And he shall slay the goat uh, of the sin offering, which is for the people, and shall bring its blood inside the veil, and shall do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the lid of the atonement, and in front of the lid of atonement. And he shall make atonement for the set-apart place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, 
and because of the transgression in all their sins. And so he does for the tent of appointment, which is dwelling with them in the midst of their uncleanness. And no man uh, should be in the tent of appointment when, the, uh, when he goes um, to make atonement in the set-apart place until he comes out. And he shall make atonement for himself and for his household and for all assembly of Israel. And he shall go out uh, to the slaughter places that is before Yahweh and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of his, uh, some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the slaughtering place all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and set it apart from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Uh, and when he has finished uh, atoning for the set apart place, and the tent of appointment and the slaughter place, he shall uh, bring the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goats and shall confess over it all the crookedness uh, of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins and, put, and shall put them uh, on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of of a fit man. And the goat shall bear on itself all their crookedness uh, to a uh, land cut off. Thus he shall send the goat away into the wilderness. Aaron shall then come into the tent of appo- appointment and shall take off the linen garment which um, he put on when he went in the set apart place and shall leave them there. And he shall bath his body in water in the set-apart place and shall put on his garment and shall come out and prepare his ascending offerings and the ascending offerings of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. Okay, how much more is there of this uh, chapter 16 that you're reading? 34, so it's uh, nine more verses. Okay. And... And burn the fat of the sin offerings on the slaughtering place. And he who sent away the goat to Azazel washes his garment and shall bath in body in water. And afterward he comes into the camp. And the bull for the sin offerings and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into into make atonement in the set-apart place, is brought outside the camp. And they shall burn their skins and their flesh and their dung with fire. And he who burns them washes his garments and shall bath his body in water. And afterward he cometh into the camp. And this shall be for you a law forever in the seventh, seventh new moon on the tenth day of the new moon. Yeah. You afflict your beings and do new work. The native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on uh, that day he makes atonement for you to cleanse you, uh, to be clean from all your sins before Yahweh. 
It is a Sabbath to rest for you, and you shall afflict your beings, a law forever. And the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement and shall put on the linen garments, the set-apart garments. And he shall make atonement for the most set-apart place and make atonement for the tent of appointment uh, and for the slaughter place and make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be for you a law forever to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year, as he did as Yahweh commanded Moshe. Very good. So we're supposed to, again, commemorate uh, all this. uh, We can see from the description of this ritual how seriously Yahweh takes the whole concept of atonement. Okay? And we're supposed to take it uh, just as seriously Right, and uh, so that ram called Azazel, or is it, yeah, it's a ram, a he goat, is uh, is Azazel. It represents Azazel, and the uh, the people of Azazel, uh, the, the goat people, are of course the Jews, and this is predicting that all the sins are going to be on their heads, and they're going to pay for it. They will be cast out into the wilderness, as uh, Yahshua says in Matthew. They will be cast into outer darkness. Outer space? I think so, folks. Okay. That's serious. So, yeah, or, That's or a, just uh, uh, Obadiah, you know, this right. uh, uh, this burning. Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, next paragraph, please, uh, begins with the word ordinarily, I think. Yes, I will go yeah. back to the text. So, ordinary. Okay. The high priest performed his duties dressed in a magnificent embroidered robe, decorated golden ornaments as well as colored embroidery, and with a golden breastplate set with twelve jewels, each with the name of one of the tribe of Israel engraved on the jewels. See Exodus 28. It was the best man could do to indicate the majesty of one who, when so clad, represented the godhood, that is to say, the high priest, when clad in his regular robes of office, represented Jesus Christ in all the glory and majesty of God before he came in the form of a man. In the form of an Adamite. Okay, very good. All right, we have about uh, 10 minutes left. Uh, let me take the next two paragraphs. On the Day of Atonement, however, the high priest laid aside his magnificent robes bathed and dressed entirely in white linen, symbols of sinless purity. This was representing Jesus Christ coming in human form, having for a time laid aside the full majesty of the Godhood and being without sin, Leviticus 16.4. But the high priest was himself a man, or an Adamite, with the faults and sins which all Adamites have, So he must cleanse himself of his own sins before he can act out the part of Jesus Christ in the ritual of the Day of Atonement. Therefore, the next sacrifice, he next sacrifices a sin offering on behalf of himself and his household. By this he is cleansed of all his sins and so can play the part of the sinless Christ, Leviticus 16, 11, and 14. 
The symbolism of animal sacrifices offered by individual sinners was clearly this. Realizing that he had sinned, the sinner went to the temple and offered his sin offering. The death of the animal symbolizing his faith that the death of the real Savior would pay the penalty for sins. By this, he was cleansed of his sin, that is, he left the sin and its penalty at the temple. While the sinner was freed from the penalty, the sin must still be accounted for. So the sins of the people accumulated at the temple all through the year. Then, on the Day of Atonement, the temple contained all the sins of the people for the entire year. Wow, that's like a mountain. (laughs) A mountain of sin. The temple must be cleansed of these accumulated sins before the rest of the ceremony can be performed. So, after the high priest had offered the sin offering on behalf of himself and his family, and of course the rest of Israel, he was ready to make the great atonement for the people. The real meaning of this has been concealed by mistranslation in the King James Version of the Bible. Indeed, in many of the translations, it has also been many translated, mistranslated. Okay, take, take the next couple of paragraphs. I think we have time for them, Michael. Okay, uh, he must have stepped away. Let me continue. Uh-huh. Sorry, oh, sorry, now I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So, in the Hebrew, it reads thus, quote, And Aaron shall take from the assembly of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offerings, and he shall take the two goats and cause them to stand before Yahweh at the door of the tabernacle. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, uh, one lot for Yahweh, and one lot for Azazel, and Aaron shall bring near the goat on which the lot for Yahweh has fallen, and shall make it a sin offering. And the goat on which the lot of Azazel fell, he shall cause uh, to stand living before Yahweh, to make atonement by it, uh, to send it away for a goat of departure into the desert. And he shall slaughter the goat, of the sin offerings, which is the people's, and shall take its blood into the inside of the veil, and shall sprinkle it uh, on the mercy seat, and at the front of the mercy seat, and he shall make atonement for the sanctuary, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions in all their sins, and he shall make atonement for himself, and for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel." End of quote. Um, Before we finish this, let's understand this part of it. The high priest has received from the nation of Israel two goats, and he has cast lots over them to select one goat for a sin offerings to Yahweh God on behalf of all the people, and the other goat um, is then selected for Azazel. Uh, The goat of the sin offerings on behalf of the people is then slaughtered in sacrifice. And the high priest takes its blood into the Holy of Holies, where he sprinkles a little of the blood on and before the mercy seat where Yahweh God sits. Thus, he reminds God that blood has been shed to pay for all the sins of 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 all the people. This symbolized Jesus Christ's offerings, his own innocent blood shed to pay for all the sins of all the peoples who will accept him as their savior. Right. Um, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, 
It is explained thus, quote, Now, when these things were thus ordained, uh, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, uh, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second, second event, uh, the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. But Christ uh, being common high priest of good things to come, for a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Okay, very good. Well, it's very, what he said here uh, in the middle of the paragraph, shed to pay for all the sins of the people who will accept him as their savior. And that, Paul said uh, similar things that uh, where he says, not all Israel is Israel, because you have to accept the fact that Yahshua Messiah died for your sins. If he, if you don't accept that as a fact, then you're not a real Israelite. You're gonna be you're gonna be treated as a non-Israelite. So that's a very important concept. There, we have to accept him. Otherwise, atonement is wasted on us. All right. It just wasted on us. Okay, let's continue here. Uh, I think I can get this last paragraph in. Next paragraph. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us, for those who have accepted him, right? For it, the, if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh... See, Paul is difficult to read. (laughs) How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Boy, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed at the judgment day. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, as our advocate, hopefully, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year, with the blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the age he hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So this brings to mind the Catholic sacrifice of the Mass, in which they claim that they're offering the literal body and blood of Christ every every time they have a Mass, right? But what he says, he only entered into it once, right? Not like the priest did every year, but only into it once, okay? So that, that, can't, that, that can't be true. All Catholics listening, that is a false teaching. Because you're, if that's true, then you're literally sacrificing his body and blood over and over again. And here Paul says, nope, that's not what's happening, <laughs> right? Okay, all right. Okay, folks, we're going to have to pick this up next week, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to discuss the, uh, the new moon business and the actual 
calculation of the feast days when they occur each and every year so that we get it right, okay? Uh, I mean, you, you go through all these rituals and still have the wrong day of the year, and you're looking for the uh, crescent of the moon, which uh, nobody sees until after the day, right? Uh, it doesn't make any sense, folks, nor is it talked about in Scripture. Uh, actually, it's even condemned by uh, Book of Jubilees and uh, Enoch, that uh, tells us that those who observe the moon will uh, corrupt the practice of the feast days. So we'll, we'll be coding that stuff next week. Michael, thank you very much. This has uh, been a great show because these feast days are extremely important to us Israelites. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. See you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for today. Oh.